their concerns. Anyone in the congregation, you can fill that out on the back of a card. And in the morning, we look forward to praying over those special needs or praise reports as well. Um, I remind you also that uh, we have the Lobby Moon Christmas Offering Post Office out in the central lobby. And that's where the RAs and GAs take your Christmas cards, not that are going outside of the church, but just for for friends within the church. And uh, so you check that each time that you're here on Sundays and Wednesdays to see if you have mail. And if you haven't picked it up, we'll save those for you and give them to you after Christmas. But at this time, let's stand together, greet those around you, and thank you so much for being here today. God bless you, my friends. to share a time of experiencing the love of God through the ministry of other people. The strongest example of that for Bonnie and me this year has been this first year in Cookville and at this church where your love and your ministry has wrapped us in the arms of the Father. And we are most grateful to him and to all of you. So let us pray. Dear God, we love you because we know that you loved us first. As we light this candle, help us to love each other and tell others about the love of Jesus. Amen. All right, we're glad everybody's here to worship with us this morning. If you would, go ahead and stand. We're going to begin our worship service by singing. I guess it's already started, but we're going to join into our worship service with singing, Angels We Have Heard on High. Lift our voices to the heavens.
the shepherds, they said, Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest. And yes, we sang it a lot right there, but we joined in with that chorus and to sing his glory and to sing his praises. Can you sing God's glory too much? No, you can't. So let's continue on with another good carol of faith, um, the first Noel. Father, we come to you this morning talking of, speaking of that first Noel when you came, uh, Lord Jesus, in a, in a manger to save the world. Lord, it seems like a strange way for that to happen, but it's the way you planned. Uh, and Lord Jesus, you submitted to the Father, to his will, to come to humble yourself uh, and to become a man and to grow up not just as a man, but as a baby and to rely on the, the upbringing of two, two godly, faithful parents that, that brought you up and... Um, and Lord, you, you even you submitted to the, the Father's will, even to the point of death on a cross. Uh, and Lord, endured so much pain and so much shame for on our behalf. But because of that, we can come and we can celebrate every Christmas season, your birth, the advent of salvation. And we thank you so much for that. And Lord, in a world today where it seems like there's so many things that seem dark and, and hate, hateful and, uh, and all that, Lord, we know that there is peace found in you, Lord, a peace that passes all understanding. And I pray that as we sing this next song, Lord, that we would realize that even though the situation we find ourselves in uh, of today, Lord, there is still peace on earth and goodwill toward men to those who know you. And we are able to share that with others, Lord, to share that peace, to share that goodwill so the whole world may know. So, Father, let us reflect on that as we sing this next song in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard the bells on Christmas Day.
Father, we thank you so much for the truth in that song that no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what we face, God, that we can have that peace in you. Uh, and Lord, I just pray that, that none here today leaves without finding peace with you, Lord, the peace with God, the peace that comes through a knowledge of a, of a Savior that came and died for our sins. Uh, so, Lord, we thank you for it. I uh, just pray you'll bless us as we continue on this service, and, and Lord, just speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, church. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. 
Today we will uh, read a portion of the scriptures. It's probably the most well-known and and read this time of the year, the Christmas story. And and uh, we've been walking through some questions about Christmas, and we've asked uh, a few questions so far. Why him? Why why would God use Joseph? Why her? Why would God use Mary? And now we're going to ask why here? Why would God use the town of Bethlehem? And uh, there's some unique things about Bethlehem I hope we can look at this morning together and, and also analyze our own lives and see how, how God is uh, working in our lives uh, to, uh, to help us be all that God's called us to be, to form us into His image and to make an eternal difference in our lives. So uh, it's been, been a fun Christmas season and, and uh, fun as we, uh, last week we had some great music in the church, amen, for uh, Sunday night and just a great time with community and, and uh, what a time of celebration it truly is when we come to, to uh, Christmas and music. We've got such a reason to celebrate. We just sing about the peace that comes. We have peace in our hearts. We can rest knowing that, that Christ is Lord and Savior of this world and, and that the, the peace of the world has come. And it comes through Christ. So uh, let's read the story uh, together. If you will stand with me and let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. God's Word says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and lied him, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Father, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth. And we pray, Lord, now as we, we walk through this text this morning, God, that you would, you would teach us more about your word, more about you and your character. God, we'd be drawn deeper into a relationship with you. And, uh, Father, knowing that you've appointed this time for us together today as your children, we assemble before you and around your word, worship you. Pray, God, that you would anoint me with the power that only comes from you to preach your word, God, in a way that would bring uh, love into the hearts of the people that you love. Lord, move in our lives. I pray, God, that we would not leave here the same way we came. But, God, we'd be changed. Every aspect of our life would be transformed by, by hearing your word, by the renewing of our minds, by the, the deepening of our relationship with you. God, it is my heart and my prayer that, uh, knowing that it is your heart, God, that if there's anyone here today that hasn't surrendered their life to you and, and, and really don't have a, a, a relationship with you, Father, they're not walking in, in your love and in that relationship, God, that they wouldn't leave here today without making that decision to surrender their life to you and that their life would be different as they walk out of this place, God, because of the work that you would do in their life this morning. Lord, we would rejoice as you move in people's lives, Lord, for those to be made known in our presence this morning. So with, with heaven, as they rejoice, we can rejoice as well. Thank you, God, for your love for us, and thank you, God, for the touch that you have on our lives this very time as we study your word. We pray this in Christ's name. All God's people said, Amen. Maybe you've never asked the question, but I, I did. I, I, why, why Bethlehem? Why would, why would God bring uh, the, the kingdom to come, that, that kingdom which had been long awaited, the king of, uh, that had been prophesied, that the king that had been anticipated? Why would God bring him to Bethlehem of all the places? And, and the turning point of history would land in a town known as Bethlehem. Uh, Ralph Stockton said, uh, the hinge of history is on the door of a Bethlehem stable. 
And this town was quite small and, and located in, in the shadows of a much larger town called Jerusalem. It was about a six-mile walk or journey from Jerusalem. So it was just in the shadows of this large place, which was known so well, was this little town, Bethlehem. The town might not have been in that day high on the importance list of, of the who's who's among towns, but it was a town with great meaning. I want to look at the, the meaning of this with you this morning and, and think about the meaning of Bethlehem so that we can gain a, a, maybe a greater perspective of why God would divinely use this town called Bethlehem. And I look at a passage of Scripture to set our minds and hearts there from Ma- uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. The text says, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be a ru- the ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago. So God's Word presents to us, even in the Old Testament, that Bethlehem, this town Bethlehem, Ephrathah would be a, a very important town. There would be a, a king that would come from this town. So it's got meaning. And when we think about the word Bethlehem, that word means something. Bethlehem means the uh, house of bread. And that's important for us to understand because when Jesus came, we understand that he said in John chapter 6, verse 48, I am the bread of life. So the bread of life came and, and entered into humanity from a city that was known as the house of bread. That word that Micah uses is Ephrathah. That's a, that's a word that means fruitful. And uh, Bethlehem would truly be fruitful. And God desires for you and I to be fruitful. Jesus was fruitful. He provided salvation to all of, the, the, all of humanity. And it says in John chapter 15, verse 8, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This town would host, and it would serve as host, to be host of the greatest event that ever happened in history. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords would step down out of heaven and enter into this town. So it's a, it's a town with meaning. The name means something. The, there, there's meaning in there. Not only that, the, the town has history. Think about the history of Bethlehem. Maybe you haven't thought about this before, but uh, there, there was a guy named Abraham. You might have heard of him, a guy named Isaac. He had a son. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had two sons through a wife named Rachel. Jacob gave uh, his firstborn son through Rachel was Joseph. His secondborn son was Benjamin. Rachel died in Bethlehem and was buried in Bethlehem when she gave birth to Benjamin. So we, we, we see that of our, our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there was a significant place for them in their life. And not only that, Elimelech and Naomi were a couple who were from Bethlehem. They lived there, and they left Bethlehem because of a famine and went to a distant land. They had a couple of sons who died in that distant land. And Ruth... Re, um, Elimelech, Naomi, Naomi returned. I had to think through that. My mind just locked down. Naomi returned to Bethlehem with Ruth. So we've got Ruth coming back to, uh, to Bethlehem with Naomi. And not only that, but there was a beloved king in the history of Israel. And his name was David. And uh, when they were searching for a king to serve, uh, Samuel searched through all the land to find a king, and he found David in Bethlehem. And uh, it's amazing that, that here Samuel's on the search for a king, and he winds up in Bethlehem. And many years later, wise men would be on a search for a king, too, and find King Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem. So we see the, the, the history of Bethlehem and, and how there was so much that went into this. Later on, I don't want to miss this, but later on, David, he would request a cup of water from a well in Bethlehem to which he would pour out on the ground as an offering to God. Later, Jesus would pour out his life as an offering for all of us. What an amazing 
town when you start thinking about this town, little town of Bethlehem in the shadows of Jerusalem, not a town with, with great importance to many people, but a town with great history. And, and we see as we, we look through the history of this town, it, it might not make the, the radar if we just look at the economic importance or the numerical uh, position of this town among other towns. But when we look at the history and we look at the meaning of Bethlehem, it takes on a new light for us. No one expected uh, anything major, I don't believe, to come from Bethlehem, not even Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph didn't really expect anything major to come from their life. We looked at their life in the last two weeks, and if you remember with me that Joseph was a man who had a plan for his life. He was a man that was a carpenter. He was a man of, of wood and stone, and, and he could touch and, 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 and physically place his hands on things, and he became a man of dream and destiny when God intervened in his life through a dream and spoke to him about the woman that he was engaged to, Mary, and that she would have the Son of God within her and would give birth to her to him. And Mary would and Joseph together, Joseph as a stepfather, would raise Jesus. And, and we see that Joseph laid aside his plan that he had for his life and accepted the plan that God had for his life. Not only that, we look at Mary, and she's just a simple girl uh, living there in, in uh, Nazareth, and not much going on in her life. Well, she's getting ready to be married to Joseph, and she finds out through the uh, Gabriel announcement to her that she's going to have a child. She's not been with a man, so she's, uh, she asks a question, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And uh, paralleled that to Zacharias's uh, question to the angel when, when the angel appeared to him and said that you and Elizabeth will have a baby. And Zacharias said, how will I know this to be true? So in other words, we see the doubt in Zacharias's life, but we see the faith in Mary's life when she said, how can I be sure of this since I'm a virgin? Biologically, she was uh, positioning a question because she needed an explanation. And he said, when he explained it to her, she said to the angel, said, may the will of God be done just as you've spoken it. So she was willingly surrendering her life to, to the Lord's will. And, uh, and, and they moved to this town called Bethlehem for, because there was a census. So we've got some insignificant people, an insignificant couple in reality, Mary and Joseph, uh, lining up in an insignificant town uh, pretty much. But uh, there was a major happening fixing to happen here in this town. We look in the in this uh, text as we see this morning that the decree had gone out by Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor. So this was the first census that had been taken in 14 years. And it was a perfect timing for the entryway of, of God into uh, the inhabited earth. And uh, verse 3 tells everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. So Joseph went up uh, from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. So not only do we ask the question, why Bethlehem? Uh, why was it that when they got there, there was no room for them? Because the last verse tells us there was no room for Mary and Joseph uh, to, to enter into a place in, in Bethlehem. So we, we asked that question, why, why wasn't it? Well, there was, a, there was a great gathering happening in Bethlehem that day, and uh, the empire was taking a census to find out uh, how much taxes they, or who they could tax, how much taxes were available to them. They brought everybody together, and the descendants of David, which would have been uh, a ten, ten generations of people were coming together, and, and they were assembling there in, in Bethlehem. So this little quaint town of, of just a, a handful of people, more or less, in, in perspective to some of the other towns that were around. This small town uh, was buzzing that night with people from the, the family of David. They'd all convened in Bethlehem. Uh, I would just have to imagine, as I kind of picture that and frame it in my mind, that it probably wasn't a silent night in Bethlehem. It's quite a buzz, a stirring a lot happening. And, and you may ask, well, why wasn't the town prepared for this? Well, they probably only had an inn or two or just a few and, and a few houses there. And every home was filled and every inn was filled with people. And there was, there was no room for them. And you may ask, well, what was God thinking? You know, to, 
This is, this is big. This is a big deal. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to enter into humanity. Okay? This is big. This isn't a little deal. This is a big deal. The biggest deal of all of history, God is going to step out of heaven, out of eternity, past, present, and future, into humanity. That's a pretty big deal. You would, you would have to think in your mind, okay, God, if you're going to do something this big, seems like... You know, if you can hang a star in, in the distant galaxies to serve as an invitation to people who live in distant lands to come and, and worship a king, least you could do is hold the corner of a house for Jesus to be born in, right? And uh, that, that wasn't the case. Uh, it, God didn't forget that this was happening and not save a space for, for, uh, for Jesus to be born, but uh, God ordained this from the very beginning of time to happen in the way that happened. And I want you to see that Jesus, who had a homeless birth, it's fitting. Because he didn't have a place to be born, we also understand he didn't have a place to live. He wasn't, he didn't have a residence here on this earth. He said in Luke chapter 9, verse 58, he said, Foxes have dens to live in. And birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Jesus was subjected to um, all the rejection of this world. From the very beginning, he, he didn't have a place. There wasn't a, there wasn't a place for him to be born. As, as you and I would think, as we think about our lives and, and, and where we would... Most of us were born in a hospital, um, I, I would say, and, and we, we see that as a fitting place to be born. I don't think any of us see a stable as a fitting place to be born. But in, in reality, in Bethlehem, there was no place for them. There was no place for Mary, no place for Joseph. And in a lot of ways, that's understood by us or should be today because for many in this world there's no place for jesus there's no place in our hearts there's no place in our homes there's no place in our lives there's no place to worship him no place for us to have an interest in him as was that day christ came to provide a place though it wasn't a place provided for him, but he came to provide a place for us for all eternity. I think that is so amazing. When we read John chapter 14, and we look at verse 2 there, the whole section, John 14, 1 through 6, it just tells us Jesus speaks into our hearts and says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will return. And receive you unto myself. And where I am, there you may be also. See, he's got a place for us. Jesus looks into your life and he looks into my life. And, and Jesus had no place here in this earth when he came. He was rejected by the majority. But he accepts us in large. Because he loves us. Longs for a relationship with us. And you know, when I think about Bethlehem and I think about that evening... When Jesus was about to be born, I think about everything that had to be going on. Thousands upon thousands of people buzzing around town. They were living life, doing life, just inter interacting with life. And, and I, I realized that it had to be this way. Not just some of the people, not just the majority of people. But the vast majority of people that night had no clue what was happening historically. They, they had no clue what would happen in the next few moments in Bethlehem. They were so busy running around with their life, they, they missed it. They, they didn't recognize it. Who, who was there? Who assembled? I mean, we've got and we've got some barn animals. And, and they're, they're joined by the angels, yes, and, and some shepherds. How striking that is. That the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords would, would enter into humanity into a, through an insignificant family, into an insignificant town, into the most insignificant place that a person could ever come into this world. And nobody noticed. There's not much attention paid to it. 
So we have to ask another question. Why was Christ born in a stable? Verse eight, verse 7 says she gave birth to her firstborn. She wrapped him in, in cloth, uh, cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Uh, a simple stable became the birthplace for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when you think about this, he, he was laid in a manger. You know what a manger is, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sure your minds all of a sudden gravitate directly to the manger scenes that we see as we travel around. I praise God we live in a community where we can still have a manger scene. Amen? Uh, what, what a blessing that is. We, we've so pushed Jesus out of so much of our lives and so many of our communities that uh, we don't have manger scenes anymore. I, I praise God that my kids are raised in a community where they can see a manger scene. And, and when we see that, our minds go to that. It might not be a true depiction of what really happened that night. They might have been inside of a cave. Uh, that might have been the, the manger scene they were in inside of a, a stone cave. might have been a, a wooden structure. might have been a mud hut. But they were, they were inside of this structure. And, and in there would have been a manger. And that would have been a, a place where they would have fed the animals. It would have been a stone basin, if you will, where the animals were fed. So the, it's, it's striking to me that the, the one who would become the chief cornerstone was laid on a stone when he was a baby. We've got the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He didn't enter into a home of royalty. He didn't come into a palace. He came into a stable and was laid in a manger. The only onlookers were some animals. Some angels. They shortly gathered some shepherds. And you think about that too. I, I'll just run this rabbit for a minute. We got shepherds. You've probably heard this before, but as I think through that, I think about these guys that were rejected from the temple, wouldn't have been welcomed. They were outcasts because they were dirty. They sat on a hillside tending sheep. And the announcement of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords came to them. If I could build a picture in your mind right now of anything this morning, I'd like to build this one. We've got an ordinary girl and an ordinary guy in an ordinary town in an odd place, a stable, giving birth to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the people that are gathered to worship Him are ordinary people. Does that say anything to you about your own life? Now, now, I realize I said this last week. I'll say it again. Some of you are extraordinary, but the rest of us are ordinary. You know who you are, but the ordinary ones in this room, including myself, are like, yay, diggity dog, that is pretty awesome. God came for an ordinary man like me. That's pretty cool. It, it puts it in perspective for me that, that God didn't fancy it up so much that I can't come in. And enter into a relationship with him. I can't commune with him. I, but, but Christ humbled himself. It's truly what Philippians 2, verse 5 through 11 tell us. When he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he, he humbled himself. He emptied himself of, of all that he had in heaven. He stepped out of heaven. He stepped into humanity in the lowest way he possibly could so that he could relate to, touch, encourage and direct those of the lowest of lows to the highest of highs. There's no man, no woman, no individual that's ever been born or ever will be born that God has not positioned himself to have a relationship with. What an awesome God we have. What an amazing Savior. I mean, I'm telling you, what other king in this world do you know of that ever stepped off his throne to save his subjects, other than King Jesus. What an amazing king we have, an example we have in him. So when we, we look at this and we, we, we understand what, what's going on before us is, is we've got this little town of Bethlehem. We've got this little town that had no room for Jesus. And we've got this, this little place in the corner of Bethlehem called a stable. And it's the place where God, the creator of the world, the king of kings, the eternal father, would enter into humanity to make an eternal difference that nothing else like it could ever happen 
No one else could ever do what he was going to do. He subjected himself to a smelly stable and an itchy manger, if I can, so that he could redeem the least of us to the greatest of us. It's nothing but extravagant what Christ did for us. And when we look at this, I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got an amazing God who loves us so much that he would say, you know what? I'll take an ordinary Mary. I'll take an ordinary Joseph. I'll take an ordinary town. I'll take the most unplanned or un... You wouldn't plan it. I wouldn't plan it. We would never think of it. Most inappropriate, if you will, place. A stable. And I will enter into humanity so that I can make the greatest difference ever known. Jesus is after our heart. Jesus is after a relationship with us. He longs to have that with you and he longs to have it with me. He longs for us. And, and when we, we look at this town, it's a town with meaning. It's a town with history. And I, when I think about those two words, meaning and history, I, I have to ask myself, I have to ask you today, does Jesus have meaning to you? Is he a, is he a person of interest? Do you, are you running around in life so busy, kind of like Bethlehem scene that night, that you've missed the significance and the importance of all that he was trying to accomplish? Or does he have meaning in your life? And when you think about the history of Bethlehem, what kind of history do you have with Jesus? Is he, is he your Lord? Have you surrendered your life fully to him? Has he made a difference in your life? Can you recount the stories in your life of the things that God has done in your life? It's Bethlehem. A town of meaning, a town of history. But in reality, there was no room for Jesus, Mary and Joseph. And he was pushed off in a corner. May it not be in my life. And may it not be in your life that we push Jesus off into a corner. That we have room for Him in our life. We have room for Him in our heart. And He's not just, he's not just kind of in there in a small way, but He's in there in a big way. We've, we've made way for Jesus to rule my life, for Jesus to rule your life. That He would be Lord and Master of our lives. And may we relate that the conditions weren't perfect for our king, and the conditions aren't always perfect in your life and mine. But we have a king who can touch an imperfect condition and make it perfect. That tells me in my life that, you know what, when things aren't just right, I have a king that can make them right. If I'll yield my life and surrender it to him. So church, let me ask you, where are you? Does Bethlehem have significance in your life? There was no Christmas until Christ came to Bethlehem. Can I tell you, there'll be no Christmas till you have Christ in your life. When Jesus is Lord of your life and you've surrendered your life to Him, we can have Christmas. I remember the first Christmas that I had in my life. I, I, remember, I remember it so clearly. And you may be thinking, I'm thinking about when I was a kid and the Christmas presents I got. I remember the date of December the 25th. I remember going through life and experiencing a celebration where I was out of school, yeehaw, where I was home with family, eating good food, where I was getting and giving gifts. I remember those things. I really do. But the greatest Christmas I ever had in my life was on in 2003. I was 31 years old, 32 by then. I was 32 years old by Christmas. And for the first time in my life, I knew what Christmas was really all about because I had Christ in my life. And it wasn't about me. It wasn't about the food. It wasn't just about family. It wasn't about giving and receiving of gifts. It was about celebrating the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you know, in my life, I, 
uh, I recognize the value of having a relationship with Him. And I just want to I just want to say to you, as people whom I love and care deeply for, it matters that we have a real relationship with Jesus, not a religion. Religion will not carry us anywhere in life, but a relationship with Jesus will change everything about our life. You know, I had the privilege this week of preaching a funeral, and um, two people died this week that I knew uh, well. A couple people died this week that I knew well, but two of them died within a few hours of each other. Uh, I preached the funeral of a lady that was in our church. She was 95 years old. And my grandmother died about three hours away from her. So they both got to heaven. I don't know who got there first, but boy, they got to the finish line. You know, they finished the line well. They, they were women of faith, and they had followed Christ with all their lives. And, you know, I, I've, I might have told you this. I've told several of this. But one of the joys of, of preaching funerals is to get to hold the Bible of the one who studied for years uh, God's Word. And, and I usually experience something from that time of studying in the Bible that they've studied from that speaks to my heart. And it's just something special that God's done with my life. And as I was, uh, I got her Bible on, uh, on, on the couple of days before the service, and I began to flip through that Bible. And I always look for things that are underlined because they're always triggers. I only found one phrase underlined from Genesis to Revelation in that Bible. One phrase. But it was underlined so many times that I could not count it. And I began to take notice. I went to Genesis and I began on page 1, Genesis 1-1, and I flipped through the pages to see how many times that phrase was in Genesis. And it was in there 64 times. My thoughts were that I would count how many times that phrase was in the entire Bible because every book of the Bible that I opened, I'd flip a few pages and I would find that phrase. And that phrase spoke to me. That phrase was this, and it shall come to pass, and it shall come to pass, and it shall come to pass. And it followed the promises of God as I was flipping. I'd never noticed this before. I never realized how many times that statement was in the Bible, and it shall come to pass. What I recognized in that time of preparing for that funeral was that Miss Nadine knew that it will come to pass. And she had given her life to Jesus. And she knew that all the promises of God will come to pass. She knew that one day she would stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and she would know then that it all came to pass. I stand before you this morning. I'm going to tell you this. It will come to pass. God has made promises. He, he promised He would come. He foretold that in the Old Testament. He came. In the way he said he would come, he came precisely to the little town of Bethlehem, through a virgin Mary, through a carpenter's son. And all of this foretold, he came in the way he said he would come. It came to pass. And he said of me and you, he said, all that call upon my name shall be saved. All that surrender their life to me shall encounter eternity with me. Can I tell you today, it'll come to pass. It will come to pass. Do you have that relationship with Jesus? And, and if you do, I praise God because you'll see it come to pass. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you'll see it come to pass. And at that moment, you'll wish you had had a relationship with Jesus. So the king of eternity stepped down. This is not just some story. This is reality. And he stepped down on my behalf and your behalf in an insignificant town, through insignificant couple, in an insignificant way, to do the most significant work he could ever do for all of humanity. That was to present himself as the sinless Son of God, to take the sacrifice for my sin and your sin on the cross at Calvary, and open up the doors to redeem you if you would call upon him. And I think there are people in this world that are living defeated, because they've, they've sinned and they've fallen short and they don't know what to do with it. And all you have to do is hand it to Jesus and surrender your life to Him. And you know what? That doesn't mean your life's going to be perfect from that moment forward. We have a perfect Father who clothes us with His righteousness. And we should seek and strive to live for Him in full with all of our life. And you have that opportunity today. Let's make Christmas truly Christmas and about Christ. 
in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love for us and the privilege, Lord, to, to read about Bethlehem and understand, Lord, what you what you show us in this little town. And, Lord, uh, our little lives are laid before you right now, Father, and we ask that you would do the work in our lives that you need to do to bring us to be the men and the women you've called us to be, recognizing your value, your lordship, and that you are king of eternity. God, thank you for loving us enough to save us. Lord, now during this time of invitation, I pray you have your will and your way in our hearts. And Lord, we wouldn't leave here without making the decisions we need to make for you and uh, having that well known between us and you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this time's yours. If you will stand with me, we'll have a time of invitation. Uh, we'll be here up front. Bill and I'll be here for you. If you would like to come and talk with us, please feel free to do that. If you want to come and, and pray at the altar, this is your time and that's your invitation. You move as God leads. We're here for you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day and the opportunity to come together to worship. Father, we are thankful for the message that Brother Scott brought to us today. We just pray that we're able to take what we've learned and not only apply it to our lives, but the lives of people around us that may be in need of your word. Father, as we bring our tithes and offerings today, we just pray that we do that in a way that's pleasing to you and that we do that with a cheerful heart. Father, I also just pray that you would continue to bless us and work in our hearts during this busy holiday season and that we not get too caught up with the worldly part of the holiday and that we keep in mind the real reason of the season, which is your son. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for all that you do. It's your holy name we pray. Amen.
Breath of 